Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was hearing weird music in my apartment. And Spooky. It, it, um, no. Um. Telepathy, telekinesis, photographing dreams, uploading memories. They are all possible. In fact, we do it in the laboratory. Hello and welcome to Captured, Ramjack in the prison of the feral lemurs. Hi guys, I am Alex, and joining me today in the Ramjack studio is my co-host, as always, Brad. How's it going? Um, it's going okay. Hurrah. Uh, we are now in the flux of temperature changes in Cincinnati, uh, on the fight for spring, mm. or for an endless summer. Thank you, climate change. I love it. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't realize climate change doesn't mean just. I mean, yeah, temperatures around the globe are going to get hotter by a f- you know a few degrees, which actually is going to be a lot more. But that's besides the point. Um, but it also allows for much more fluctuations in types of weather, which is why Cincinnati has been experiencing a crazy winter, and I can only assume a, an insane summer. Wow. Wow. Um. <laughs> Brad, as always, unamused by the weather, just like. Daylight yeah. savings time is the worst. Oh, yeah. Fuck that shit. I hate this. It's light forever, um, and it's the worst. I don't like it. Can we consider it a holiday and thus the worst holiday, or do we not even want to give it that much credence as uh, an not. event? It's not a holiday. It's a torture. It's a faulty ideal. Mm. It's wrong. It's morally wrong. Spring forward? No. Fuck that shit. <laughs> I don't like it. If anything, that seems risky. Why do, Why am I leaping forward through time? Listen, That's I'm, just negligent. If I'm going to have to spring forward, then I think Starbucks has to stay open an hour later. Because Ooh. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave the house until it's dark. And now I have less time. Should we take back daylight savings time? Let's take where back all the, the night. stores are open another hour? Yeah, let's take back the, take back the night. <laughs> I like that. Next year, we should get on top of that and make advertisements and just, like, tell the world, take back the night. Yeah. It's your night. Don't let someone steal it from you. I mean, it's time to drop this nonsense. <laughs> no more springing forward. Yeah, just chill. Just relax. Take that extra evening hour and just read a book or something. Or, you know, get out and get that Java. Um, Brad, I have a uh, some animal news. And this comes secondhand from a friend. But it's a personal story about um, how a crow bartered with them once. Okay. Um, so I have a friend. She used to live in Portland. And um, she said there were these crows, as always. Birds are lousy in a city. But the crows were a little bit smarter than, say, the pigeons and other animals. Because the crows were kind of aware of what was going on. And she doesn't know any of the science that we've talked about uh, on Ramjack about birds and why they're super intelligent and terrifying. Um... But she said it was routine that her and her friends would get together and they would eat outside chips or whatever um, for lunch. And one time a crow, like the crows would be around, but one time a crow like landed really close to them and looked at them for a minute and then looked at the chips and then flew off and they saw it. It went through the trash and found uh, like a silver gum wrapper and then flew over and then landed in front of them and then like purposefully set it in front of them and then looked up and then looked at the chips and then looked at the wrapper and then looked at the chips. Hmm. Bartering. They gave it chips, obviously, because that's a fun, I guess, trick for a bird. But that terrifies me that birds are finding shiny things in the trash and then just giving, like, hey, human, check, ooh, you like shiny things? Cool. Saw that ring on your finger. Nice. Hey, here's a shiny thing. Give me some chips. 
I also don't like what this does to the economy because first off, you know they reused, they didn't take the gum wrapper, they left it because it's trash, but you know that bird reused it. Oh yeah. You can't reuse currency. What kind of, what are they trying to do to our economy? Well, you can reuse currency. That's the basis of currency. But you but, can't uh, re you can't give it and then just take it back like that. I can't mm. give fifty dollars to uh, someone. Hey, here's fifty dollars. Thanks for that thing. Oh, and I'm gonna take my fifty dollars back. Yeah, uh, but if they don't take the fifty dollars, well, you can take it back. All right. Okay. I Alex, I think you might be right. I if, I may if have you said to, if ahead. you said I um I would like to uh, I would like to buy this uh, this uh, cake from you. Here's yeah. five dollars. And you set the five dollars on the counter. I give you the cake and leave. I think you take that five dollars back. Really? Sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Really? I've left. I've le- I'm no longer in the same location. I've gone home. Were we in a store? No. I'm at your house. You're at a house. You put five dollars there. Why did you take the five dollars? I don't know. I'm an idiot. I'm a dumb human. I think I would ask you later. Like, hey, um, you left the five dollars for that cake. But there's also certain things there. First off, we're friends, so if you left $5, who knows? That could have been like a thing like, oh, I don't, you know, it's a cake. I don't want him to, you know, he just keeps his, I don't want his money. That's just, this bird isn't friends with these people. This bird is of another Two uh, strangers type of in animal. a park. Two strangers in a park. Okay. Um, Would you, you like buy a-, a cake from someone in a park, Brad? I, let's buy some chips. All right. Ah, I'd like to buy some chips. All right. That'll be $5. Okay. $5. I'll pay the $5. You put the $5 down. Uh, and then, uh, walk away. What? Hmm. I mean, that is, that is a what scenario. You take take your $5 back. They've left. (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) I mean, that's a way it could work. Are you going to leave it for someone else to get the $5? Why? It's your $5. True. You know what? Maybe, maybe I misread this bird situation. Maybe the horror of them. Here's what you need to think about. Uh, okay. Why do why do these crows uh, think so lowly of humans? Ah, they'll take garbage. Yeah, that's see. There's a lot of things in this story. I got hung up on the monetary value and the you know them messing with our economy because that's the last thing we need is birds to get in on things. But you're right. They think that sh- they they look at trash and to them, um, I guess that's something they can barter with, and that they think humans deserve trash and they deserve exactly. And the dummy humans fell for it. They should, I mean, yeah, they got the chips. Humans fall for a lot of things from animals, and I don't know about that. Um, Brad, in Indiana, people are combining two things that probably don't belong together. One of those things is yoga, and the other thing is Dungeons and Dragons. Ooh. I... Uh, Brad, you've never actually been in a yoga session, have you? No. I don't think no. I don't think it's your thing. I think you would absolutely hate it. Definitely. I think you would leave in protest if anyone ever like like if you were trying like let's say you started dating a girl and she's like, come over to yoga and you're like, eh. If you gave it a try, I don't think it, it would be something you would stick with. Um, to mar- to marry that with Dungeons and Dragons is weird. Um, but there's this, there's this guy who's doing it. Um, he's apparently teamed up with an actual yoga instructor, and in between her giving commands of like, okay, breathe in, breathe out, okay, now go into vinyasa pose and go into warrior, in between that, he's kind of imposed an adventure onto these people, and it's basically just glorified storytelling. He says, all right, um, you're, you're going down a road, and um, you think there might be something on it, um, but you see a castle in the distance. Keep going. 
And then she steps back in and tells people what to do. They rename all the poses from Warrior 1 and Warrior 2 to Sword 1 and Sword 2 for oh, for combat in Dungeons & Dragons. It is... It's untraditional, and I guess if people get into it, to each their own. But I don't see how it could even get, like, any type of, um experience similar to Dungeons and Dragons. And also, listening to the YouTube video they have to kind of showcase it is one of the funniest things you can do. Because it's hilarious. You hear the one woman giving actual yoga things, and then the other guy whose voice, he's not even trying to do something like neat in storytelling. He sounds super nerdy, he's awkward, and he also stumbles over his words constantly. So you see all these people in a room with yoga mats, and right beside them is like a D20 dice. And there's a certain pose that you can do that they put you into so you can grab your dice. And when the woman tells him to do this, it sounds awkward for her to even say it. She's like, okay, now go into this pose and arm back and then roll your dice. Like you could, it almost sounds like she's forced some way to like, fuck, I gotta do this. This is terrible. I, there's no way around it. This is just the dumbest thing. Because first of all, isn't yoga like supposed to be relaxing? Like, why are we having to like fight thick monsters in yoga? Like, like I I don't I don't get it. And and how does dice rolling? How do you dice roll in yoga? As you stretch, you see a Gleblon warrior. He's coming towards you. His arms akimbo. What what? <laughs> And go into downward facing dog and roll your dice. But like the dice rolling is arbitrary. Like you're right, this is straight up ridiculous. Why are we fighting fake monsters when we all know real monsters exist? True. Uh, Ramjack is always on Monster Wash. Always. Um, but I don't understand how you can impose any type of rule set in yoga other than yoga. Like, are they rolling dice for fun? Like, is that part of like the cathartic meditation of this type of yoga where, all right, now roll dice and whatever the number is, it's fine. Or is it like, all right, you rolled a 20, so you have to do 20 um, downward facing dogs in a row. We'll <laughs> wait for everyone to finish their numbers. And when you're finished, go down into child's pose because that's the roll of the dice. And also, um, if I could interject, uh, your attack on the goblins failed, and they are now uh, taking you to their leader. It's like Rolling. it's it's like <laughs> um some shitty couple where they've decided to merge the two things they enjoy to spend more time with each other uh, for oh, whatever yeah. reason. Maybe uh, in the hopes of salvaging whatever relationship they might have. <sighs> it's garbage. a hard fit. It's a garbage. hard fit. Terrible. Hey, we don't um. We don't really trust each other enough to be apart, so we're just gonna force our two interests into each other and make it worse for everybody. <laughs> um, a quote from the article I read this from says, in place of an amorphous spiritual journey, um, that's ridiculous, yeah. we decided to provide a fantasy adventure. <laughs> this is taken from this is exactly what one of the uh, one of the missions I guess or not missions but some of the the text of the adventure is another door is in front of you this door has been nearly hacked apart but leads you further into the temple Ugh. downward facing dog into warrior pose I, for those who are interested classes start classes are free classes mm. are free of course they are but a five dollar donation is suggested also bring your own dice mm. Um, the guy who does this, the dungeon master, if we can even call him that, is named Eric. And he says, in future versions, I would probably rework the role of the die to be more pivotal in swaying the story. But it was amazing to have a whole room full of people in sync die rolling to determine their fate. 
Whatever, dog. Ugh. Um, no. 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 Get your escapism. Don't mix escapisms. That's weird. I just... Ugh, it's just terrible. It sounds like the worst fucking thing. I can't imagine a place I would hate to be more. Do you think people will run... I, I, obviously, I think this is an idea that's, that's going to fail. But do you think we should do a special Ramjack episode where we also do, um, like, Bikram yoga? Where it's a giant Bikram yoga, yoga sesh? Did but you in miss between... the part where I just said this was the <laughs> thing that I would like to be least? I know, but... I think we can improve mixing yoga with things, because Ramjack would be a fun time. I think a lot of people listen to Ramjack when they run and exercise, but, um, Brad, I am with you. I mean, I was just saying that for to be a devil's advocate. All right, uh, I now, would not... uh, now, uh, Mr. Belvedere is, uh, <laughs> going to, uh, Refrigerator One. Yes, going to Refrigerator One pose, and then going to, um, Dusting the Mantle pose, as Brad and I discuss the alien subplot in this oh, week's boy. episode of Belvedere. Hold that, and go into Wesley pose in any moment. No. Yeah, it's the worst. You, we can promise people on Ramjack we're not going to combine weird things. Anything that we combine will be awesome. Right? Yes. No, well, um, I, what I promise is that I will not let Alex lose his mind and start making <laughs> wacky novelty combinations of terrible things. That's my promise. I mean, it's novelty in me is a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah. I see um, cake-flavored Oreos, which doesn't make any sense. Oreos are cookies. Why do I want them cake-flavored? Mm-hmm. Um, and I will suddenly be mixing Ramjack with yoga. It's a slippery slope for me, and I'm I'm glad that Brad is here to help me. And Brad, I'm here to help you in any way I can, if, if you even need help. Your actions have hurt me in the following ways. <laughs> so uh, here's what we need to talk about. Michio Kaku. Fuck this guy, right? <laughs> Theoretical physicist. <sighs> um, wrote and written many books. Um, one of which I think our friendship kind of started on, right, Brad? Sure, sure, absolutely. I read Hyperspace when I was a kid, absolutely. Um, I, you recommended this book to me, did you not? I did, I did. Um, and I, I, I can only thank Michikaku for maybe in our youth, um, inspiring us to, to, I guess, question things. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, heightened our sense of science curiosity. But there's a lot of stuff in hyperspace that's just straight up speculation yeah. and ridiculousness. Right. A lot. Um, and I feel like as time's gone on, Michio Kaku has gone further and further off the fucking rails. He's got a new book that's out now, and he's everywhere doing these interviews, and he's lost his goddamn mind. <laughs> the problem is, he talks a lot of crazy nonsense, and he's all he's all about being a science popularizer. I'm glad we've got people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and uh, um, Bill Nye out there, you know, just trying to be an advocate for science in general. That's great. But then you got m- fucking Michio Kaku, who goes around really over-exaggerating things and talking a lot of nonsense. A lot oh, yeah. of nonsense. And uh, it's not helping anything. Um, I'm not really sure what his game is. I mean, granted, he is a, a classically trained physicist, uh, so I'm assuming he got his degree and actually knows physics. But why is he spending time on, like, the uh, basically the fantasy of science fiction? Like, one of his books, Physics of the Future, it, 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 he just kind of goes down, all right, you know in science fiction how we do this? Well, we might be able to do that in the future. Yeah. It's like a weird science fiction book of, like, hey, some uh, writers think this might happen in the future. 
It could happen, maybe. Exactly. Maybe. And he, he really over-exaggerates, like, where we are and what we can do. In, like, his latest book, it's all about the mind, the future of the mind. Oh, yeah. And he's talking about, like, implanting memories and, like, full total recall scenarios. Look, asshole. There, we may be doing something, but guess what's not about to happen in a second? He talks like it's gonna happen, like, oh yeah, in the next 20 years, uh, we'll be fully uh, uh, implanting vacations in people's memories. No, <laughs> we won't! No one wants a total recall stitch. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody! I really don't understand. I mean, that's something that's from, an, like, a, Total Recall is an awesome movie, the original one, and it's mm -hmm. it's a fun kind of almost dystopian future because that's a nightmare. Why would you why would you want to lie put in your head as a vacation? Yeah. That's weird. Um, And this is not to defend him at all, but I do know recently we have actually started to implant memories into smaller, um, I guess, animals, like mice, because we yeah. do everything to mice. But that's like implanting a memory into a mouse. Human memory yeah. is much more complicated than that. And he also he also talks about like once you know once oh once we map out the mind we'll be fine. Like no dog, shit is more complicated than like. And the thing is, the pro the the biggest problem I have with Michio Kaku is that. He knows better. Like, he knows that he's exaggerating. And I feel like the thing he's doing is, I feel he's such a condescending asshole that he thinks, well, you know, most people aren't going to be interested in actual science, so I'll just, you know, kind of uh, jazz it up a little bit, and it'll make it more fun. Well, fuck you. It's so <laughs> condescending. It's like, I like it pisses me off when, like, um uh, atheists and skeptics are like, well, you know... Uh, yeah, I know that religion's nonsense, but I think some people need to believe these religion religious stories. You know, for the age, they just need to because they're not they're not ready. They're not capable of uh, what thinking about facts and reality. Fuck you! You're such a condescending asshole. Like people can handle reality. You don't have to like uh, make it. You don't have to like jazz everything up and make it wacky and fun so that these idiots can. Uh, well, they just won't be able to cope with reality. It's not interesting enough for them. They need crayons. <laughs> the the idea that reality may not be interesting enough for people is an interesting idea. I don't think it's right. I mean, you're right, Brad. It's silly and ridiculous. Um, I think maybe the problem in some of that respects is maybe the I, I guess uncontrolled uh, hunger for entertainment in a way. Mm -hmm. Because why does inter why does reality have to be entertaining? Yeah. Reality is reality, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe it's wrong to um, equate maybe things like science fiction, which are basically... I mean, science fiction is a weird word anyway. Maybe we should reimagine that as um, mechanical fantasies. Or um, maybe... I don't want to put the word scientific in there. We need to come up with a new name. Because it makes you think that science is something that is, um, I don't know, related to fantasy more. When the actual process of science is uh, thinking about how something will react and then testing it to see if it works and then drawing conclusions from that and then figuring out how the fucking universe works. Yeah. I mean, it's endlessly fascinating. There's tons of awesome things about our universe. You don't have to bring in, um, what's the famous quote, fairies at the bottom of the garden. Yeah. You don't have to bring Captain Kirk into the universe <laughs> to make it oh. fun. There's all kinds of cool stuff. Red matter isn't real. You don't have to have that. Use real science. And another thing about Michu, like, besides the fact that he's, I think he's a condescending asshole that knows what he's talking about is crazy, I feel like... And I know, like, if you're, you know, you're a person in the media, you're doing a lot of interviews, you kind of have your, you know, your your boilerplate, you know, quotes ready to go. But I feel like I've heard Michio Kaku, in the past few days, especially getting stuff ready for the show, 
I've seen like him use the exact same quotes for the past five years over and over without any variation. Like dead on the exact same words. Like his his like his spiel is so set. Like, I don't feel like anyone that ever has interviewed him has had an actual conversation with them. It's just, let's lead Michio Kaku down the road to say crazy bullshit. <laughs> um, in his new book, which is about, obviously, um, the future of the mind, um, he has a scale for consciousness, mm-hmm. um, which, while I, I get what he's trying to say, is a little bit, dude, explain it in a better way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a model of consciousness, and I'm, I'm just quoting from an article. Um, it's a model of consciousness with a graded scale of awareness based on the number of feedback loops between environment and organism. Okay, he calls this space-time theory. He calls it space-time theory, already muddling up actual science. Uh, thus, in uh, his view, there, a thermostat has a lower, the lowest possible <laughs> level of consciousness, while humans, with our ability to move through space and project ourselves mentally backwards and forwards in time, represent the highest level currently known in consciousness. Oh, fuck. Uh, he is he's muddling, he's muddling too much. And, First and of all... Something- because I feel like, again, you're just leaving room for people that don't understand things like, wait, thermostats have consciousness? Yeah. Well, here's something that's a little weird about science. Um, well, not really about science, but how people perceive science, which I understand. Okay, Mitsukaku, dude, chill. Maybe find a new way to do your spill. You're kind of not propelling things forward. But like you said, Brad, people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, people like Bill Nye, that science guy, these people are awesome because they don't hold back and they really try to explain the science behind it. But they are, and there is such a huge hill to climb in this. Um, and I hate to even use a metaphor because now I'm like analyzing everything I say to make sure I'm not saying something like that's a weird science metaphor. Like, And they really have a, a huge black hole to miss um, oh in what I call space space-time theory, um, no, um, <laughs> because people aren't really that aware of what science is, like I right. said earlier, it's like, in fi- it's, it's creating, imp- it's seeking empirical evidence for things and building on our knowledge of the universe, and people don't think, I don't know what people think science is, I would love for people to ask questions to the common street person, and the people, because we've talked about that on Ramjack, a lot of people s- are not sure that the earth revolves around the sun, which yeah. is weird to even say in 2014, but what do they think science is? Do they think it's magic? Do they think it's the devil? And they're already... So you're talking to people who aren't science literate. I mean, right. if I if my science education stopped with what I learned in high school, in college, I don't know that much about science. But I mm-hmm. seek to learn science. Like, I'm constantly reading scientific articles. Um, we read physics books when we were kids. And granted, they were Michio Kaku, let's use weird metaphors and muddle right. the science with it. But we were able to, because we care about it, um, kind of filter through all that and be like, oh, okay, um, there's people talking about science with metaphors for people who don't know about science, but if you actually read it, you can learn the actual mechanisms. Yeah. So it's an uphill battle. People don't understand even basic things in science. I would guarantee you they don't know how even atoms work, Brad. And we learned all that in high school. Yeah. But let's let's also talk about the fact that there's people out there that, you know, um, would read the same books that we did or, or similar books and would, like, latch on to the crazy stuff as of, and it validates their belief in crazy stuff. Oh, dude. A book we read in childhood, uh, Hyperspace, which I know we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning of that, where it talks about like the science behind holograms and using the technology of holograms, which is 
I don't want to get into the science of that right now, but please look it up. No. It's interesting. There's actual science behind that that's cool, but they use that idea to latch on to, like, spiritual stuff. They're like, yeah. hey, if if we can kind of have a holographic memory in things where we try to, uh, where we send ripple currents through a solid piece of matter, and depending on how you throw light through it, you can get different information back. We can scale memory, like, a huge amount. We can spore, store so much information in a much smaller space um, than using just traditional flat surface things. Um, but if we think about that in the spectrum of God and the spirit, Ugh. our minds are blown. It's like, well, where does God and spirit have to do with this science yeah. of yeah. putting a lot of information in a small space? That's that's a leap, isn't yeah. it? I don't understand it, it either, dude. It's, it's Michukaku, dude. Stop. Just stop. He's, he's just fucking terrible. I, and, I, and, I, and for whatever reason, I don't know why he like still gets a pass. Like, he's, people still treat him like a respected person. Listen, he hasn't actually published anything or done any work in forever. He's just out there writing these shitty fucking books that are getting crazier and crazier. He's doing these uh, ridiculous interviews. He's, like, going on, like, Art Bell, like, wackadoo shows. Uh, I, he is the Dr. Oz of physics. Like, hands yeah. down. And while, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure he's trying to inspire some sort of creativity in someone, maybe, but you're right, it gets too, it gets bogged down. And I, I, I'm, like you said also, Brad, I'm not sure if that's what his end game is. I don't know if he's just out there like, <laughs> let's put a stick his, in the spokes of science. Is, his end game is, cash, is dollars. Yeah. Because yeah, like dollar, dollar if you've got some if you got a guy it's like, oh this is this is a physicist, he's one of the creators of string theory. Um you know, he's a he's a brilliant guy and he says all these really crazy things. And he, he also he throws out a straight up gish gallop. He throws out so much crazy bullshit that there's no way to get around it. Like you can't there's no time, because he's got another crazy thing coming down the pike. He's gonna say so much crazy fucking bullshit in five minutes, there is no way to slow him down and be like, wait, is that insane what you just said? Or are you gonna say something crazier? What what does make him dangerous? Um, is I, I've seen a lot of his videos are, okay, videos of him. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels is Big Think, and Brad, I, I shared this with you, I'm not sure if you actually got to look at any of the videos, but they have him on there a lot, I guess, as the resident physicist, mm -hmm. and he does talk about science, and he had a video on string theory, which does exactly what we talked about. Mm -hmm. He lays down some actual science at the beginning, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of informative, and then just wildly speculates on what the future might bring. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a video recently, um, uh, there was a um, 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 a misinterpretation of some data and actually just uh, not thinking about exactly what the data was where physicists in Europe thought that there was a, a type of neutrino which is a, a type of particle that actually traveled faster than light because they got the readings from it before they got the readings from I guess the light that they did in this long distance test and they were like oh fuck this goes against everything that we know about physics and Michikaga did a video on it and in the first half of it he's talking as someone who believes this is real mm -hmm. guys quick uh, quick science knowledge that no the neutrinos can't travel faster than light that we yeah. know so far and it was, no, uh, no real scientist data. when that happened like there was a bunch of shitty articles oh, but totally. no real scientist thought like there was a real thing Oh yeah, and in the video, the first half of it, Michikaku is talking about it like it's real, and then halfway through it, 
Halfway through it, he says, oh, and by the way, that's not true. You can't break the laws of physics. This is a classic example of someone uh, I, or grasping for straws, maybe, and maybe uh, the media getting a hold of a story and swinging it wildly. And to hear Mitch Ugaku say that is weird, because first off, dude, have you read your books? Yeah. You wrote those, right? They're not ghostwritten, right? It I, was weird to see a video, again, where he treated something scientific that he knew was false as real, and then halfway through, like, oh, wait, flip the script. It's not real. <laughs> gotcha. It's that's so a little weird. That's sin- well, condescending and almost sinister in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I know maybe for the entertainment of the video, it was supposed to be like, ooh, yeah, it's real. But no, it's not. But Michio Kaku, dude, dude. The thing you is, you know like, better. Let's this, stop. The state of science reporting in the world is terrible. It's 90% garbage. If you see a headline, it is wrong. Let's just say it right now. If you see any kind of science headline, it's probably wrong. Oh, yeah. And once you but, read it, you realize, okay, it's not at all what this fucking article said. It's something far different. And Michu Kaku, I feel, is worse. <laughs> um, I do love, I, I, I have up the, uh, the table of contents for hyperspace. Mm-hmm. And just reading <laughs> chapter's headings, I, I think would f- put you into a full-on rage, Brad. Oh, boy. I love part one, entering the fifth dimension. Worlds beyond space and time, which I'm guessing now is like worlds beyond the mind, because space-time theory is what he's thinking of, is what, part of what consciousness is, which sure. is an interesting idea, but not in the way I think. Mathematicians and mystics. Oh boy. The man who saw the fourth dimension. Hmm. The secret of light, vibrations in the fifth dimension. That's something else that, I mean, because in science fiction, they're constantly bringing up um, the concept of dimensions and alternate realities and um, parallel universes is brought up all the time. And those are distinctively different concepts and ideas. Uh, it's too weird. Why are we muddling science? Stop it. Here's another thing about Michio Kaku. Uh, in August of 2010, uh, uh, on a, some TV show, uh, he said that uh, 95% of UFOs uh, can easily be identified as, you know, normal things. But the remaining 5% are truly unidentified and can't be dismissed. He said, and he suggested, well, maybe they've come from another dimension. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, you goddamn fucking psychopath? What? 5%? Where's this number coming from, you asshole? You just made this shit up. 95%, but what about that other 5%? No! Fuck you! If 95 can be accounted for, then guess what? 100% can probably be accounted for. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I don't get... What what would be interesting? I, it's so weird because Michikaku is someone who okay, as a physicist, he has a he has a, a a fairly from what again I've seen, he has a fairly good grasp on most physics principles or even new physics principles. But he marries them with uh, outlandish ideas. He mm-hmm. seems like a failed science fiction writer who can't yeah. really make a narrative or a story, but has the ideas. So I'm gonna just throw these into chapters and inspire people with it. I mean, why not? Why doesn't he take a few writing classes? Why mm-hmm. doesn't he just uh, a bunk, you know, bunker down in a little place and start typing away. Instead of writing books about ideas, write a fi- science fiction story. He could be yeah. a good science fi- I mean, he has interesting ideas. I mean, just throw him in there. Become he, the next Michael Crichton or something. The, the thing is, he's got, he's the, uh, ugh, I just, mm. it's all right, Brad, it's good. It. It's cool. Mm, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him so much. <laughs> it's just that you hate him. I hate he him. He inspires such, uh, when you because see him. Because it's, because I honestly feel like he knows better, and this is just his shtick. And he does it so he can get on TV. 
Yeah. Because I mean, that's what a lot of people do on television, but it's it's more nefarious on his part because he knows better and he's a scientist. If, I'm if putting the, that in quotations. If, like, if, if nobody was talking about science and, uh, like, in, if there was no Neil deGrasse Tyson, if there was no Bill Nye, if there was nobody out there that was actually able to talk about science, then maybe we'd need some guy uh, screaming uh, fire in the crowded theater. <laughs> but <laughs> we don't. We don't need Mitch Yukaku. We don't need this asshole. And also, he's he seems to be he pops up on every science show, and it doesn't matter what the topic is. Like he's been on things talking uh, about uh, um, uh, anti uh, nuclear radiate nuclear uh, um, power. He's a climate specialist. Like he goes on any. He's just like I'm the science expert on any topic. And guess what? That's not your field. You can't just be the science expert because that's not a thing. You're not an expert in science in general. <laughs> you are a theoretical physicist and the creator of string theory, which is like if you want to get into like like the fringes of science. Of course that's where Michiyukaku comes from because like ugh, you're trying to meld quantum physics, which is really the no-man's land, <laughs> uh, with, like, general relativity, and you're out in the weeds, dog. You're super out in the weeds. <laughs> Not as out in the weeds as you are when you're on TV, but you're pretty far out there, and you just ran further. One of my favorite things about Michikaku is he always tries to impose a new system with every book that he writes. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw it in hyperspace, and uh, again, looking at some of the uh, title titles, I guess chapters, um, titles of the chapters. I'm sorry, I cannot speak today. Um, in his latest book about the mind, um, it's pretty funny. But one of my favorites is the physics of the impossible. Uh -huh. um, it was a book he wrote in 2008, and he talks about again. He he drops some science in the very beginning chapters, and then immediately starts wildly speculating. And he he makes a system of class of impossibilities, which I guess maybe some summarizes a lot of what Michikaku just talks about in general. Oh. <laughs> There's class one impossibilities, Brad. Technologies that are impossible today that that do not violate the known laws of physics. So he thinks that the, uh, uh, class one impossibilities of science fiction may we might get them pretty soon. Then there's class two impossibilities, technologies that sit at the very edge of our understanding of the physical world, but could happen in the next thousand to million years. That's a huge scale of time. That's a ridiculous scale of time to put a class two possibility. I don't, you know, it might it, it violates at the very edge of physics. Particles might be able to do that. So in another thousand to million years, we can make that technology. First off, half the technology as far as like advanced science we have, we did in the last hundred years, but whatever, Michikaku. Class three impossibilities are technologies that violate the known laws of physics, but who knows? We may or may never be able to get them. Why make this arbitrary system? It should just be impossibilities. We don't know if they're real. Ugh. There is no class of impossibilities. They're impossible right now. Uh, I just don't get you, dog. Um, I just sent you a link, Alex. Uh, Michikaku oh. sells t-shirts of himself on his website. Aww! Uh, it's his face, like, in space, and it says Kaku under it. <gasps> <laughs> Dr. Michikaku is a famed futurist, best-selling author, and theoretical physicist. He explains the most fascinating and complex ideas in science today in ways so elegant and easy to understand that many have compared him to the late Carl Sagan. This is on his own website. Nope. Dr. Kaku's optimistic but realistic observations about the human condition propel us towards the future with thought-provoking insights into our own evolution and enlightenment. 
says the guy selling t-shirts of his face. Can you can you read the first sentence of that again? Um, Michio Kaku is a famed futurist, best-selling author, <laughs> and theoretical physicist. When you first read that, I could have sworn you instead of famed, you said feigned. <laughs> I just got, I could have sworn you said that. I thought that's awesome, Brad. Nice. That's awesome. He's a feigned oh. futurist. I don't know. Also, like the order there: famed futurist, best-selling author. And theoretical physicist third. I love that all of those, especially theoretical physicist. First off, theoretical yeah. physicist. Yeah, that's just weird. It's weird. I, shh, I'm with you, Brad. I, Michikaku, turn your ship around, dog. Maybe write science fiction novels, and that's okay. Just do that. Don't hey. muddle science for everyone else. Leave that. Yeah. To, let Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about science. Let Bill Nye talk about science. And the bigger lesson is, guys, if you're watching television, if you're watching any kind of science program, and Michio Kaku pops up, just be on guard, because he's probably talking a bunch of snakes and rainbows. Oh, yeah. I think Michio Kaku should have maybe guest starred on X-Files, because him and Mulder would have had a field day together. I, I honestly, I would not be surprised if he pops up at some point. That would be amazing. Like, I, I could absolutely see it. Like, give him a chance. Like, I, if, I'm sure, I am sure, <laughs> like, if he give did some kind of chance. interview, and there's like, so, uh, hey, Michio Kaku, have you ever seen the X-Files? Oh, I remember that show. That was a great show. You know, they really, there's a lot of things... You know, that seem outrageous in that show, but if you think about it, they could be real in the next five years. Wackadoo! I would almost guarantee there's a part where he, they, like, just play a video of him talking about string theory, like, in the background of an episode to kind of explain some randomness. Oh, I'm waiting. And that's when I fucking lose my mind. Oh, yeah. Like, all the dumb things are happening at once. TikTok. I mean, it's a ticking time bomb. That's inevitable, I think. Oh, yeah. I think. Definitely. Definitely. Like, Chris Carter... I, I bet he is like BFFs with I could just I could see them like having a weekly poker game. <laughs> Interesting, nice. Uh, yeah, I agree. I just stay away from the cock the cuckoos. Michu cuckoo, butooch. I do love that it's just his face and then just like the explosion of a universe outside. I mean, it does look like he's he's a dreamer. He's a dreamer. Hey guys, it's that super special time of the week to check in with our pal, Mr. Belvedere. Streets on the China never mattered before. Who cares? Guys, every week Brad and I watch a, a famed 80s television show. And um, we come together and we try to summarize whatever show we watch in less than a minute. Or as close to a minute as possible without going over. Yes. Uh, this week we watched Mr. Belvedere. Um, and we watched an amazing episode called Graduation. Oh. Which... I, I really hope Belvedere continues this because normally we only get like two stories, like the main one and a sub one. I love when they have three going on. Yeah. And it's amazing. Um, uh, Brad, I don't know whose turn it is to actually summarize this. It is mine. Oh, is it? I was secretly hoping it was mine. But I, yeah. I, I'm going to put a minute on the clock, Brad. And again, try not to go over. Get as close as you can. Uh, give me a second to collect my thoughts because this is a bonkers episode. Oh, boy. I'll be honest, this may be one of my favorite episodes as of late for a lot of craziness that happens in it. It's, there's so much crazy. Um, oh, boy. Uh, yikes. All right, all right. I think I'm ready for this. All right. Uh, on go. Three, two, one, go. 
Alright, so Wesley is graduating from elementary school, but he, I, sixth grade? I don't know what's happening. It's very strange. I'm not quite sure of how old he is or what's going on. But he is the valedictorian, which is crazy, but we know he's a brilliant sociopath, so I guess it makes sense. Uh, the other kids seem to be tired of his pranks, so he's gonna grow up. He starts wearing a suit. He starts to being super serious. He's not gonna pull any pranks. Meanwhile, Heather and George are doing a father-daughter, like, uh, uh, field day or something? I don't know. It's insane. A lot of wackiness ensues. George is getting old. Um, also, Kevin has seen a UFO and is hoping to meet with an alien chick so he can have weird alien sex. Don't know why. Also, why is Kevin living at home again? What the fuck is happening on this show? So, uh, in the end, uh, Wesley, he's, his friends are like, hey, you're not being fun anymore. We need you to pull a prank. Come on, we're graduating. We gotta get that principal one last time. So at the graduation, he they put him on a wheel and spin him. It's very bizarre. Uh, that's the episode. One minute, three seconds. Ah, so close, so close, man. I was, I was, I saw it creep into fifty, and I thought he's almost got it. Just stop, just stop, just stop. And you didn't, you didn't stop. Sorry. That's all right, man. Dude, it happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. You're crazy. The, the best of us being between both of us. Um, this episode is awesome. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin because the Wesley T story is awesome. It's about growing up. It's almost a coming of age, uh, you know, fun story. Um, George and Heather, eh. But the Kevin story takes a crazy turn, which is, again, why I'm loving this season of Belvedere Mm -hmm. and I guess all future seasons because of the step they'll go. But I guess I I guess let's just start at the the beginning. Um, All right. Wesley's name valedictorian. Indeed. He comes in, uh, he runs in, hides under the table. He, he gets a call from Horton's Huffnagel. Uh, he's in trouble because he was he stole Grandma Huffnagel's shawl to use it as a parachute for when he jumped off the roof. And, like, the yellow, and I'm thinking, like, wait, why is he in trouble? Like, yeah, he stole a shawl, but he jumped off a roof. Isn't that, like, the bigger problem? He's a kid well, that jumped off a roof. Well, you got everything. First off, uh, child endangerment. He mm-hmm. jumps off a roof with a shawl thinking he can fly. Right. Um, I think this is bullshit story that the Huffnagels are coming up, and they don't know the full story. Um, so we have that. And we also have thieving because he stole a shawl. But right. why would he go over and just steal a shawl? He could steal anything at the Owens house yeah. or like use anything for a parachute. I think he's hanging out with, uh, obviously, Wesley T is an old soul and a young body. Um, he's also a sociopath, even a psychopath. Um, but he loves Belvedere. So that's one older person in his life. But he also loves Grandma Huffnagel, the woman who taught him how to play strip poker. Mm-hmm. So I think him and her were hanging out in her, like, upstairs, like, uh, let's just shut Grandma Huffnagel off in her own little, like, uh, quasi-apartment that we've made for her over the garage. Mm-hmm. So he's chilling with her, and then the Huffnagels find out, and he's like, oh, fuck. So he grabs her shawl and then, like, uses it to, like, shimmy out of the window or something. Like, I think him and Grandma Huffnagel are friends. Well, but then we find out that he, the real problem is that when he jumped off the roof, he... He broke his fall on Graf- Grandma Huffnagel. I think she was down saying, Quick, son, and jump! And they just uh, thought she just didn't catch him. And that was just her thinking she was 20 years younger, 30 oh, years younger. Okay, all right. A bodybuilder. I don't know how you thought you could catch a child. I'm just saying I think there's more to the story there. All right, all right. Why would Grandma Huffnagel teach him how to play strip poker? That's weird. I, I, there's a lot of questions. 
Um, Marsha is a little oh bit disturbingly, I, I, I say Marsha chill out, because she's trying to be a mom in this. Like, she's trying to scold him and, like, punish Wesley T for all the things that he's done. Well, she is wearing the mom jeans for the job. I think that's what it is. She dressed the part this morning when she woke up, um, and now she fancies herself a mom. God damn her hair. I'm so I, sorry. I, 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 I am taking a screen cap, because... She, her, first her jeans are so goddamn high, and her hair is so fucking crazy. Like, I don't understand this bitch. Like, how was this ever a fucking thing? It wasn't. I really think maybe she was trying to do her own fashion sense, or bring her fashion sense to the show, and they were like, alright, um, no one's buying this. It's a weird mullet. It's a mullet, right? That's what her hair is. Yeah. It's short on top, it's long in the back, and it doesn't work. Because it's like a curly mess on top. It's like one of those weird frilly bows, but of hair on top of your head. That's not oh. a good idea. But the pants are... I, uh, how? How? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to put this in the Ramjack Facebook group. I know by the time this episode comes out, it would have been there forever. But I just feel like everyone needs to just... When we talk about Marsha's hair and her clothes this is the shit we're talking about because this is the this textbook is, example yeah this is like straight up insane like this is not what humans look like and i can't believe that this was ever allowed in society in a world where other people have eyeballs and can say hey maybe this is a bad idea because we're on television and we don't have to look like this this was <laughs> fucking allowed <laughs> so Marsha picks Wesley T up by his shirt, which is weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, escorts him out of the kitchen. And I am assuming upstairs to give him a, a proper scolding in mom gene mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly Kevin erupts from the back door, runs inside, and tells Mr. Belvedere of an experience he just had. Yeah, Kevin, who also has a crazy mullet, this up. Yeah, I, it's just getting worse. Um, he has seen a UFO. He was up at Makeout Point, I mean, the place where all the teenagers go, the fuck tree. He was at the fuck tree, mm-hmm. in the pit, and suddenly the car started shaking. Um, lights shone in the car. I, I think he said he saw something like a saucer? He is beside himself, like, Belvedere, I don't know what I saw, but I'm gonna get to the bottom of it. Well, Alex, you know, 95% of UFOs are easily identifiable, <laughs> but there's that 5%, and those are probably creatures from other dimensions. Makes yeah. all the science sense. Every yeah, all the time. Everything I've read about parallel universes, everything I read about space-time consciousness, mm-hmm. um, on the scale of impossibilities, it's easily a three, maybe a two. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's not impossible. No. It's on the scale. It's on the scale of impossibilities. Um, so Belvedere kind of dismisses like, uh, Kevin, UFOs aren't real. Kevin's like, I know what I saw. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. Um, and that's pretty much the opening. I, I know that. Uh, George and Heather have a scene where they're training for a father-daughter race? It seems like a full father-daughter event. There's, like, a sack race, and they come in, and they've got, like... Heather's got like uh, he's mine's got pink fringe. George's like mine's got green because I'm a boy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a boy, so I get. I thought he said it was blue. He's um, like, because that, that I mean that's your traditional blue color. I mean baby blue is for dudes yeah. at least past the 1920s. Um, but it is awesome that they allow Heather to have a fringe on it, and that George is so excited to have blue because he's a boy. I mean, as you get older, your mind kind of starts to deteriorate, and now he's like living as if he was a chi- trying to live as a child again. Ugh. Nowhere near as fit though. Yeah, and then they're, like, going to do, like, the wheelbarrow race, and Heather's like, come on, Dad, let's train for the wheelbarrow race, and, like, all of a sudden, like, they just walk, like, what the fuck? 
I don't understand. I, I do love that even though we've had episodes of George being oddly clingy with Heather and mm-hmm. then them talking about it, and much much like in reality where people say something and then maybe don't change or do anything for a while if they ever mm-hmm. do, George is still, still there clingy even though he's made a promise to her not to. Um, which is ultimately kind of where the story kind of goes other than him being old. It's, it's weird how... I don't know, they're getting together and doing this. But he has her be the Wilbera in the fake Wilbera like mm-hmm. training. Yeah. And then he tells her to open the door. It's weird. It's like, George, you can't do that. I, come on. Yeah. I also love that they're wearing red and blue outfits. Like she's in red, he's in blue. I'm a girl, I'm a I'm a I'm a dude. I'm a I should be a grandpa, but I'm a dude. Oh, Heather looks alright in the in the in the red outfit. Oh, of course, of course. Well hers is more of like a jumper where George's is yeah. just a straight up sweatsuit. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. Um, uh, fast forward to the evening, because that was in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin has found a telescope. <laughs> yeah. um, he's pointing it to the stars, hoping to find a UFO. I, I mean, if you don't know anything, if you've just been reading Michukaku for your life with books, I'm sure that's where you would start. Um, Belvedere brings out a tray of food. <laughs> I love yeah. that Belvedere just, his idea is like, is someone doing something? I'm going to prepare them some food and bring it to yeah. them. That's how he shows love. So he brings out a glass of milk and I'm assuming a sandwich, other things. And mm-hmm. Kevin's out there. He's like, hey, I'm checking out, um, I'm checking out space. I got to see if I can find a UFO. And then Mr. Belvedere says, um, make sure you stay away from, uh, the teenage Huffnagel daughters. Or is it the mom of the Huffnagel? Someone, stay away from those Huffnagel, stay away from the Huffnagel windows. And Kevin's like, oh yeah. And I guess he readjusts the telescope? Like, well, no, maybe because he was all a ploy? I because at first, Kevin's like, I, I, I see the Big Dipper, and Belvedere's like, no, that's the Huffnagel's Christmas uh, lights that they haven't taken down yet. Oh, <laughs> I for- I'm sorry. I, like, little things sometimes I miss. What the fuck? Like, I, at first, I, I know it's a setup for a joke, but Kevin, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's living at home now. I, again, I, I guess I couldn't find a roommate. Who knows why? Yeah. Cut up to Wesley T's room, and little Bryce faces up there, who is wearing the most badass jacket. <laughs> it's, I don't remember how what you call that, where it's the double buttons. It's so cool looking. Oh, it's awesome. And it's also low. Um, it's kind of, I also love that either it has built-in black sleeves, or he's just wearing a black shirt underneath it. But Bray's face is, is is definitely styling. Definitely. Um, the fact that Bray's face is back. I, I love that he's still around, kicking it. Yes. And him and Wesley, I guess he's dressed like this because they're about to go to a dance? Yeah, they're about to go to the, uh, to the uh, end of year dance. First of all, can we talk about, like, they say, like, they're graduating from elementary school, and they're graduating from the sixth grade... Oh, no way. These kids are way too young to be graduating in the sixth grade. I, uh, first of are all, they? like, I, I, I didn't know elementary schools ever went to the sixth grade. That seems weird. Um, elementary schools go through a whole gamut, man, pinning. I, where we grew up, they didn't go to the sixth grade. They went to the fifth, I think. But the, now it's actually common for them to have, like, a, in, like a, another type of middle school where you go from, like, fourth to sixth. It's weird. And I, I mainly just, due to just population. And, like, I, I know we can, I know there's some variations, but, like, high school is four years. So yeah. what, do they then go to a sc- another school for two years? Uh, they might go to high school for the rest of the years. This was the 80s. High School, I guess... 
The divisions in that were weird, but we, uh, we might be able to. Maybe the middle school for them was seventh to eighth, which was just yeah, that is weird, just for two years. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see, a, I could see like you know a middle school that maybe went a little longer, like there was like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Like that even would make more sense to me because four years Definitely. elementary school, four years in the middle school, then four years in the high school. But like the fact that uh, there's some like two year middle school or junior high or whatever. I don't really understand it. Does it have to do with, like, the growth of kids? Like, is there that big of a difference? But I, First off, kindergarten to sixth, once you're in sixth grade, I mean, you are, you feel a lot older, right? I don't yeah. know if that's simulated because of school or whatever. I mean, uh, yeah. It's, but it's to just... have fourth graders with eighth graders, those fourth graders are going to get picked on. Like, that just seems, I mean, it does make sense, but I don't know. Would it make the fourth graders seem more adult? Where they're like, all right, I'm in fourth grade. Now I got to get my shit together because those eighth graders are prowling around. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of questions. A lot of questions. I don't know either, man. A lot of weird stuff. So, um, the question Wesley has is how he's going to pull a big prank at the dance, and he's going to oh incorporate his froggy friend to help him. Yeah, gross. Um, and this is when we see the classic, I guess the classic tale of a boy who's just not ready to grow up. Mm. He's not a boy anymore, but he's not a man yet. Not yet a man. So he's still getting his frogs out to the dance. So they go to the dance, and this almost feels like a like a middle school dance. Mm-hmm. Um because everyone's dancing it's in the main room also uh, one of his friends at school is uh, um the kid from it um the one that yeah. plays like young uh, john ritter yeah which is pretty cool um i also want to say at the beginning and i really like this when they show the pan of the dance you get that one kid dancing and there's two girls that walk across the screen and they're holding hands as they walk across and then, I, I guess, make a weird kind of curve for a punch bowl table. I don't know. As um, Braceface and Wesley T are walking in. And I thought that was awesome. Two girls just holding hands. Like, what's up? No big deal. Um, but it's so quick and so fleeting. It's like, all right. Um, but you're right. They're at the dance. This is this is a serious dance. Um, so they they see their boys. They see the other guys in class. They roll up like, hey, guys, what's up? They're like, oh, what's up, Wes? What's, what's up, up young John Ritter? It's <laughs> like, what's up, John? Um, so, Rit, you guys looking for some action? I don't know what Wesley T means. When he says this, I'm like, what do you mean action, Wesley T? Are you about to take, like, <laughs> bets? Is there a gamble going on? Like, what's, yeah. what are you doing? Also, they have a weird interaction with the principal. Like, I, this character, this he's like, all right, Wesley T, I'm, I'm on to your game. Don't you try any of your funny business. I may have, he, he's like, I, I, I may have to... I have to let you be the valedictorian, and I don't like it. And I have to let you come to the dance, but I don't like it. It's like, what the hell is happening? Why was a, why does an adult man have a vendetta against a child? Uh, That's weird. Um, why so, is an adult why 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 would an adult man wear shorts and a hoodie? Um, I mean, it happens. I yeah. guess I'm just looking at Alex and like he's he's curled up into a ball. He's he's wearing shorts clearly, but now he's put the hood up over his hoodie. So apparently, he's cold, but not cold enough to wear man pants. Oh, I'm not. I'm not cold. I'm just trying to. Get, I'm trying to be secret. I got my hood on because I'm being secret. Okay. All right. Um, because I know there's mischief afoot on Belvedere, so I'm. I'm a little. I'm really excited. Um, so Wesley T answers the <laughs> principal's like I guess talk of I don't like it with Hey, dude, nice hair plugs. <laughs> and he's like Wesley T, don't you flatter me. Uh, all right, dog. <laughs> yeah. I think Wesley T just okay. Yeah. So after that, after that, they go over to Ritter and them and be like, hey guys, what's up? And there's nothing much, man, just chilling. They ask him if they were in some action. They're like, what kind of action are you talking about? And he says, how about an old frog in the punch bowl? 
And they're like, Wesley T, God damn it! we're like in the fifth, we're about to be sixth grader, or seventh graders? Why are you still putting frogs in punch bowls, dude? That ain't cool. It's pretty weird. Um, also, can I just point out that, like, I feel like there's, like, a, a one-to-one adult-to-child ratio at this dance. Oh, yeah. I'm beginning to think that maybe the two women holding hands as they walked across the screen wasn't a couple, but rather a mother and a daughter. And because of the hairstyles in the 80s, you couldn't tell. But I honestly don't know. In my heart of hearts, it's a young uh, lesbian couple just allowed to be them at school, which I like in the pit. Um, I also love when Wesley T talks about the frogs and they kind of like, dude, not cool. He says, what? There's a lot of girls here. You don't want to bug them? Because that's the end game for him at that age. I want to bug girls. Yeah. I just want to, eh. There's something about it. I just, eh. I want to, I just want to bug them. Um, a girl walks across um, the screen and comes up to the gentleman and is like, hi, boys. Hey, Wesley. Almost like a straight-up purloin sitch. And she's mm. like, hey, Wesley. Um, and Wesley's like, what's up? Well, does he call her, like, a name? Like, I really don't know why he doesn't call Braceface Braceface. Because he calls him Miles, like, his name. But Wesley mm-hmm. T's all about calling these other people, like, crazy nicknames. Yeah. I think he calls her, like, Mudface or something. I, I, I didn't and catch she, him. She's like, Wesley, you've been calling me that since kindergarten. We're in seventh grade now. And he's like, whatever, bitch. Basically, he gives her another <laughs> name. And she's like, Wesley, Wesley T. Owens. Ah, mm, I just, uh, I don't get you. Hey, glasses. And glasses, the kid beside Ritter's like, huh? She's like, you want to dance? He's like, yeah. And they go off to kind of awkwardly dance together. And that kid like, looks familiar. That, about? that kid, the kid with the glasses looks familiar as well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of kids in this. I mean, if little Ritter's running around, I feel I'm like, sure yeah. Some of these kids. Like, because we get the kid from it, and, like, I, I just feel like half of these kids are, like, kids I've seen in shit. Oh, yeah. Um, Braceface, like a true friend, uh, gives Wesley T some cover as he puts the frog in the punch bowl. He sneezes loudly. Mm-hmm. Doesn't need cover. He could have slipped it in there. It doesn't matter. Um, the principal, for some reason, calls all the kids over for the punch bowl. <laughs> like, this is the big event. You get to the dance. You decide who's going to be uh, dance king and queen. And then we go around, gather around the punch bowl for some punch. Let's let's all, and let's all um, thank our custodial staff for, like, a set, uh, our cafeteria staff for this punch and uh, these, like, treats or something. It's very weird. It's weird. I don't get it. Um, like, so, you, wait, so you made the cafeteria staff work overtime for your shitty party? What? I thought like, that's why you had like all these parents. Nope. <laughs> they can't be bothered. Um, timing couldn't be better because this is when, after the frog's been in there for a little bit, um, the girl who, um, basically has a thing for Wesley T goes up. She tries to get her own punch from this awesome punch. Um, I think it's Island Punch, actually, is what he calls it later. And the frog's there. She just starts screaming. The principal looks at her and is like, what's the matter? Not seeing the frog in the fucking, uh, ladle. And she's... And then he sees the frog and is like, ah, Wesley! He's like, what? I'm just trying to make everyone laugh. Everyone looks at Wesley T like, dude, really? Like, and then the principal in a rare moment of, I'm going to get one up on Wesley. Wesley T, the kindergarten graduation class is down the hall. Maybe you feel more at home there. And all the kids are like, ooh. Because I mean, really, like, you you just ruined the punch for everyone, you asshole. Like, what are you doing? That custodial staff spent an hour to two hours making that. I guess. This is a tradition, goddammit. Wesley, what are you doing? Ugh. Wesley's like, fine, I'll go hang out with the kindergartners. Fuck this shit. Let's go, Miles. And Braceface is like, ah, dude, I think I'm going to stay here and dance with some girls. Oh, leaving him, leaving him behind. Yeah, and Wesley T's like, cool, whatever, bro, and just leaves. 
But he does walk out. He doesn't run out, and I respect that. Yeah. He's not running out like, fine. Like, his emotions are hurt, and it's a big bro- bro- blow to him, but he ain't going to let it show because no. he's Wesley T. Gets home, Belvedere's like, you've only been gone for an hour. What the hell is happening? He's, and he tells him what's going on, and he's like, you know what? If they want me to be more grown up, fine. Fuck them fools. I'm going to be the most grown up. <laughs> All right. Um, that can only go bad. I, we, we know this is only going to end... I, come on, Belvedere, stop him. Yeah. Um, so then next morning, um, Heather and George run in. They've been training. Like, what was all this training? It's a father-daughter race. You think it would be that easy. Ugh. And no, they're both, not really competitive. They're also both now wearing gross uh, jogging suits. Uh, George yeah. is in gray. Heather's in pink. Um, and you're like, wow, they look terribly dressed. Then you look over and there's Marsha. <laughs> Always one to one up everyone on. Uh, she's I guess got like we're stressed. She's, she's got like uh, this yellow top with like a cravat and it's like weird. an orange jacket. No one's thinking it's awesome. It's it's just straight up whack. Yeah, it's um, garbage. A weird line from Belvedere. Um, they had been running that morning and a dog got free. Uh, a crazy dog because apparently it ripped a like a mailbox post or something out of the ground or something happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at the back door, clawing at it, trying to get into um, Heather and old Pops. And Belvedere says something about like maybe you would feel better if you had something in under those sweats. It's it's a weird line about like he's trying to feed them or give them caffeine or something, and he's like under your sweats. Meaning, like, in your stomach. But the way he says it is weird. Um, yeah. I don't know the exact wording, but it's creepy. Like, no. I don't want anything under my sweats, Belvedere. I, that's gross. <laughs> uh, also, uh, just to back you up to Marsha's fashion, she's also got this weird-ass patch on her jacket. It's like a oh, rose God. or something. It's also riding really, really low. Because in the yeah. 80s, everything was big and over, um, I guess, sized. It's she, too low. She looks like she's dressed like Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> She could be giving him a run for his money. Her hair is kind of, uh, her, the longer mullet part is more tame, so it almost looks like a, uh, kangaroo bob. I don't really, I don't know. Who knows what's going on? Wesley T knows what's going on, though, because he is styling. He rolls in in a suit. Um, it's tailor fit. It looks good. It's three-piece. Um, he comes in and notifies everyone, like, hey, I'm gonna go head to school or whatever, and they're like, hey, do you want anything for breakfast? And he's like, nah, pass. Uh, I'll pick up some coffee on the way to work. I mean, school. And um, this is a more adult Wesley T. And Mom's immediately like, something's wrong. Belvedere's like, nah, I'm on it. Don't worry about it. Um, Kevin is watching a weird kind of erotic alien movie. <laughs> yes. And he's got like a, um, what do you call that on his head? It's like a headman with little... It's antennae? I guess. Alien antenna? He's that and he's taking notes. And he's also, he's reading, um, he's reading fucking... Oh, God, what is he? He's reading A Chariot of the Gods Chariot of, Chariot of and the Whitley Strieber's uh, Communion. Like, fucking crazy shit. Yeah. And then, like, some my Michukaku book, I assume. Yeah. But with a slight... It's like uh, men and men who love aliens or something. Right. Men who are into aliens and the women who love him. And it's basically about... Well, yeah. Um, you know, some men have had sex with extraterrestrials, Belvedere. You know, 95% of humans have never had sexual relations with an alien, but... They- there's 5% ah, that you can't dismiss. You can't. You <laughs> cannot dismiss them. You, uh, and they're, if you can dismiss 95% of anything, you can probably dismiss that other 5%. That's that, just a right. That's just a fact for life, guys. Yeah. And then that grand scheme, yeah, 5% is nothing. Belvedere's like, Kevin, dude, you got to stop. Why aren't you why aren't you at school like 
trying to get some action. Not frog action, not a frog in the punch yeah. bowl, but like real action. Also, why are you at home? You just got an apartment. Yeah, why are you still here? What? So, all right, let's talk. So Kevin is no longer a nurse. He's no longer got an apartment. What? This show... I really wonder what's going to happen with him. Like, at the end of the series, are we going to see him, like, in a successful career? Because I don't I don't think so. Like, I really think we're going to hear a tragedy here. Yeah. Or see one. I'm really expecting, like, any episode now, they'll be like, Well, Kevin, uh, you're graduating from high school. It's time to go to college. <laughs> like, it's just like, <laughs> like retconning everything. Yeah, every, every week it's, like, back to square one with Kevin. He just can't get a break. Um, uh, so Belvedere goes from the living room where Kevin is studying, not his school studies, but eight extraterrestrials, mm-hmm. into the kitchen where <laughs> George is inverted and upside down doing upside down crunches. Yeah. Well, he said that like he, he was you know training with Heather. Also, he's wearing yet another jogging outfit. How many does he own? This I know one it's is green. I know it's the 80s and it's a different time, but how many jogging suits does this man own? We've seen him in other ones. I, I've never been one for any type of, like, sweatpant or sweatsuit or any jogging. Like, I own two pair of, like, sports shorts that I can wear whenever I go running or biking or something or play sports. Mm-hmm. But that's so rare. Why would I want, like, a full-on outfit? Like, how many outfits does he have to exercise? And it's George. He doesn't yeah. exercise. We know this. Yeah. It's crazy. And he's, he said he hurt his back. It. He hurt his back when he was training with Heather. So he's trying to, like, do this inversion thing to help his back. Does that help your back? No. I mean, what's the difference between that and just standing up, really, yeah, right? Yeah. Other than the fact that you're not putting pressure on your lower legs. I guess. You could lie down and get the same effect. I mean, your spine elongates um, when you're asleep because of the way that gravity affects you during the day. I don't think it's going to help you, dog. No, not at all. And it I was can't... the 80s. They ate raw eggs for crying out loud and, like, energy drinks. They didn't know what was going on. I guess. Belvedere leaves him, as he should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> George might die because of the blood running to his head. I don't Definitely. know. I hear that's a thing. Uh, next day, uh, um, Marsha's taking off the jacket, but she's put on the glasses. God. Ugh. I think out of all the outfits she wears, this is like her most professional 80s looking outfit. Because it's a longer blouse and a skirt. But I could see her kind of going to the legal hut at the mall and working in this. Um, Wesley T again, dressed up in a three-piece suit, rolls in. Oh, hey guys, what's up? Um, hey mom, can I throw a party later? Nothing too crazy, just a little get together. Um, I think they call them kickbacks. But um, I want to get, I want an opportunity to start networking. Because I really want to, you know get ready for things and they're like networking that's weird um then a life insurance agent pops up at the door for wesley t because he's ready to get life insurance he's like oh hi i'm ready for long-term life insurance yeah better late than never <laughs> this is so weird i just love the insurance agent <laughs> guy is totally cool with all of it yeah he just shakes his hand like oh yeah a child great perfect makes all the um, sense in the world they agree to have a party, which is going to be the lamest party ever. Mm-hmm. Because at the party, uh, Wesley's invited everyone over. He's going to show them how grown up he is. Um, he's talking politics, foreign affairs, to a whole room of fifth graders about to be, or sixth graders about to be seventh graders. And they're like, what the fuck? I don't know nothing about Reaganomics. What? Oy. What? I don't get this. Yeah, it's it's pretty bonkers. And the, the kids are all like mad, mad bored. Um, insurance salesman is still there. By the oh, way, oh, he's yeah, he's chilling. It's a he's networking event, straight like a straight up networking, like ugh, worst. It's the worst. 
Wesley T treats the room like he's making rounds. Mm-hmm. I guess you do it uh, like adult parties. And he's like talking to the kids about foreign affairs and he goes over to Bray's face and is like, oh, hi, Miles. Hey, looking sharp tonight, man. Of course, no one else is talking in the room, so it's basically like he's just calling Miles out. Like he's right. trying to have one of those private conversations, but everyone can hear them because they're bored out of their minds and no one's talking. Yeah. And uh, Miles is like, yeah, man, thanks. This party is weird. And then the life insurance agent comes up. Oh, hey, guys, what's up? Again, no one else is talking. <laughs> they're like trying to have a private, like, it's like they're trying to have an adult party and no one's into it. And then he tries to sell Miles like dental insurance because <laughs> he's brace face. So like everyone like goes outside and uh, Belvedere has a little moment with Wesley T and he's like, "Listen, Wesley, what's going on?" This is- oh, everyone leaves. They're like, "Part, dude, this party sucks." I know we wanted to be adults, but we gotta pace ourselves. Fuck this, we're going to the mall. And this life insurance salesman's like. Guys, I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm driving. Everyone get in my van. I don't know how he has a van. I don't know how he's getting all these kids to the mall. This dude is a straight up predator. No doubt. He is. He is He is a child predator, and we get verification of this in just a minute. Yes, we do. Uh, Belvedere has a little talk with Wesley T. He's like, hey, what are you trying to do, Doc? This is crazy. Wesley sticks with him. He's like, nope. They want me to be grown up? Fuck it. They got to deal with this. Um, so Wesley, he's, he goes outside, and he's just sitting, he's kind of upset, and he's like, all of his friends have left him, like, what do they want from him? And then, <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? Yeah, um, they all come back with their life insurance salesman, <laughs> and they're like, Wesley T, what happened, dude? We didn't want you to grow up, like, crazy fast. Um, something we missed, the little girl that was hitting on Wesley, um, mm-hmm. at the dance, came to his party, and she's the one that's like, Wesley, what the fuck? So when she comes back with all the rest of the kids, like, Wesley, come on. I like that kind of playful spirit in you, but you gotta grow up a little bit. But not too much. I mean, we don't have to have diversified portfolios before we're, like, a freshman in high school. Just be cool. And Wesley's not hearing it. He's like, what do you guys know? And then, Brad, what happens? Then, uh... Life insurance salesman is like, listen, what happened to the Wesley E.T. that I know and love? <laughs> what, what happened to that kid that uh, uh, pulled the greatest pranks in the history of the school? What happened? Like, what? Why is this dude like, all of a sudden know like the full history of Wesley T? Oh, and we're like, Brad is paraphrasing. He gets into intimate knowledge. Like he mm-hmm. names at least two or three pranks that I, with uh, with full knowledge of what happened. Yeah. So he. He is a straight-up creep. He is creeping on... He's on the periphery watching everything. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, some kids have been touched. And you know there was a lot of kids at that party? There's a few less when they come back. Yeah, what's that about? Some of those kids didn't make it back. So, um, they all come back, and the life insurance salesman builds Wesley T up, and he's like, you know what? I am fucking Wesley T. We are gonna pull the biggest prank. We're gonna pull the biggest prank before we graduate to the next school. Before we go into seventh grade. Who's with me? And they're all like, yeah, we can do it. No frog shit, though. We gotta get an adult prank. Um, oh boy. I'm assuming the life insurance salesman is, is like, beside himself, because he's like, nice, I'm in. I'm a part of this now. I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this. Um... So, yeah, scheming persists. Um, we go to graduation. Wesley, uh, Wesley, who's been putting off writing a speech the whole time and uh, antics yeah, yeah. going on. Um, the principal's like, against my better judgment, I'll now uh, hear the speech from the valedictorian, Wesley T. Owens. Wesley goes up makes a perfectly normal speech. And when he's done, the principal's like, oh, that's it? Oh, well, no worries then. And then the kids strike. 
<laughs> and the prank is they push the principal back like on like there's like a there's like a, basically like a, a the school seal I guess and th- they push him onto it uh, and like spin him around. I thought it was a carnival wheel. Like, I didn't really yeah. understand. Like, why do you have a carnival wheel? Like, all right, and you just graduated. Everyone gets your numbers out. We're going to do a spin and see who wins the door prize. Like, I don't understand. But it is. Like, I guess it is the seal, Brad. Um, well, yeah, it's it's clearly the seal. But, like, why? For, uh, but why does it spin? Well, why like, does it they, spin? Like, why is this a prank? Like, how do a bunch of kids, like, push it? How is he attached to it? Like, what? It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's straight up crazy. Yeah, but they push him to it, strap him to it, and then spin it, and he's spinning at a crazy speed. Yeah. I can only assume they have a motor attached to it. I have no idea. I guess. But is that a prank? Like... I think that's just mean. Like, I don't... That's a bully tactic, isn't it? I mean, like... Fuck you, principal. Alex, if somebody, like, pushed you on something and, like, you span ar- spun around, would you be like, oh, what a prank? Or would you be like, that's weird and kind of... Ha ha, what a goof. I'd be, I would be weird. I'd be like those kids at the uh, uh, punch, around the punch bowl with a frog swimming. Like, Wesley T, what the fuck, dog? I'd be like, what is, like, is that's the greatest prank? That's the greatest prank? You made a man spin around on a wheel? Best prank ever. I got him. I feel like the writers were like, eh, they spin him on a wheel? Ah." Yeah, I don't get it either. Other than like, no, there's no way. I, I'm assuming that there's something we didn't see, like maybe Wesley T stole his wallet or something. Who knows? <laughs> stole his wallet. That's <laughs> you know, classic. Great, that's a great classic prank. Classic pranking. Spin them prank. on a wheel, steal their identity, run up their dad. wallet, uh, steal all their money. Uh, I'm in trouble. You know, classic pranking. You know. <laughs> stole his wallet, raped his wife. Uh, great prank. That Wesley T, he is crazy. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, we, so, uh, we cut to later, I guess, and, like, the, the Owens are yelling at Wesley, you're in trouble, you're grounded. Uh, and then they leave, walk onto the car, <laughs> it's just Belvedere and Wesley T. First of all, if you ground your kid, how about you take your kid to the car instead of just walking off and leaving your kid <laughs> behind, you assholes? <laughs> This is why Wesley T. pulls pranks, because his parents don't give a fuck. They just left no. him. You're grounded. Belvedere, take care of this. <laughs> You're grounded. We're leaving. Um, hey, we came together. <laughs> why are you leaving? You're grounded. Um, you you, your car privileges are revoked. <laughs> you gotta find a way home. <laughs> uh, but we just have, we have, like, a little moment, and, like, uh, Wesley's like, well, it was worth it, and Belvedere's like, I think it was a solid, solid, uh, best prank ever. <laughs> yeah, solid goof. Um, yeah, I don't know. Mixed signals to Wesley T. I, I, I don't know. He's still a kid, I guess. Yeah. Fast forward to the next day. Um, I'm assuming George and Heather have been disqualified because George comes in on crutches and apparently he dislo- like he he sprained he sprained his, his ankle. First of all, do you, do you use crutches for a sprained ankle? If you're George, I mean, if you're old and you might fall over a lot and also break something else, like we don't want a hip broken from a sprained ankle. But apparently, yeah, they got there and he was so excited um, that he tripped on the the uh, seatbelt getting out of the car and sprained what? his ankle. I was like, how? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying it. So they're like, but I luckily, but we still, they... Heather's like, oh, but we still won the, uh, the, uh, tug of war. How'd you do that? And then Belvedere comes in with a rope and a gold medal. And with a track, uh, with a classy track shoot, track suit on. Definitely. None of this weird sweat, colored sweats, pending gender yeah. that the Owens have. Uh, he 
knows how to dress himself for an event. And he wins. Exactly. Obviously, he still has the rope. So not only did he win the tug of war, he decided to claim the rope as a prize. <laughs> which I love. Belt. Yeah. I got the rope this year. That's yeah. all. I actually think that should happen more in sports. <laughs> if you if you win, you get to keep whatever it is. You, you if win. you're in baseball, you keep all the balls and bats. Yeah. <laughs> this is the <laughs> If you're in football, you keep the footballs. You yeah. won. Definitely. Definitely. Makes Duh. a lot of sense to me. <laughs> um, do sports later that... work like that? I, I'm sorry. Now I'm like wondering if sports do work like that. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely, absolutely. They always work like that. Yeah. If I score in your net in soccer, I'm taking your nets. That's you shouldn't have lost. You shouldn't have lost. Oi. I'm also taking the sod. You're gonna have to re-green everything. It's mine now. Mm. It's mine. After the victor go the spoils. Sports would be much more fun. Um, so we so, cut to later that night, and Kevin's outside playing the uh, um, uh, Close Encounters alien theme on a harmonica. Yeah. Trying Close to Encounters the of the third kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, doing a lousy job, and we Got can it. barely understand or decipher what it is. Belvedere comes out and is like, dude, come on. Oy. Come on. And he's like, listen, uh, and it's uh, and this whole thing is about Kevin just wants to fuck an alien. I think that is what it is. Yeah. At first he was scared, and then he was interested. He it's, was like, whoa, what is this thing that's over us that could take us at any time? Also, does it have a vagina? Like, it's, is it, it? Is it? Does it like me? It's so weirdly specific that he wants to meet an alien girl. <laughs> like, yeah. And Belder's like, listen, why don't you just go, like, hang out with some girls and fuck He's them like, and not an yeah. alien? No, no, that weird alien strange. He's like, you know what, Belvedere, you're right. Actually, I have a date right now. I'm going over to dinner with uh, some girl. She says I could have anything I want. Yeah, okay, so why are you obsessed with aliens when you've got, like, this girl that you're about to bet? Well, as Kevin says, he's like, you know, Belvedere, it's just like when you experience something that epic and awesome in your in your small town life um, in the pit, you want to be a part of it. Like, you don't want to leave it. You're like, you know what? Maybe I can be something more than just Kevin, who now lives with his parents again after Ooh. moving out of the house twice, who's going to the pit, and goodness knows all the kinds of things that happened to him that we've experienced on the show. Maybe I am, maybe there's more to this. Maybe I can just get spirited away on a flying saucer. And maybe fuck an alien, who knows? Yeah. And Belladier's like, fat chance. <laughs> yes. Um, and... So Kevin's like, you're right, Belvedere. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get whatever I want at the buffet. That is this girl I'm gonna go see later. Oh Wait. Um, so and then, then Kevin the, walks the world away. breaks. Kevin yeah. walks away, and all of a sudden, there's lights and uh, uh, UFOs back. And then we see the five percent of those UFO oh encounters that we can't really dismiss. Um, yeah, th- there's a there's a light. Belvedere's like. Flashing lights. First off, Belvedere's not afraid or anything. He's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, we can only assume maybe there's a saucer or something above him. And um, the light shines on him. And then, like, a weird kind of robotic alien female voice says something like, hey, skinny, what you up to? Hey, Slim, how's about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, basically, it is like that. It's yeah. like, hey, Slim, what's up? Hey, what are we doing later? And, and Belvedere's like, just, listen, I got enough shit going on down here. I don't have time for, for these problems. I ain't got time for intergalactic romance. Oh, so, so she's weird. like, okay, and disappears. 
Um, for a minute, because of the the timing of the show and how we were wrapping up all the threads, I thought that this was going to be the end and that we weren't going to get a journaling of Belvedere. Yeah. And thought, wow, we've really reached a new ep. Uh, this is a new era of Mr. Belvedere because they've made aliens real in the universe of Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> Belvedere has just gotten more wacky, and I love it. It is it is awesome. I I do love that. I mean, this is right up there with uh, roller skating, and there was no challenge. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're at the end of the fourth season. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, and we got two more seasons after this, right? Yeah. I mean, it's only going to get better. Um, so now we're... Um, Belvedere's had his closest encounter. Where It's nighttime. He's settled down. He's got his little pen out and his paper, and his, he's journaling. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, well, Wesley T's learned a lesson, blah, blah, blah. Everything's fine. Um... <laughs> Then he pulls out the weird little antenna, puts them back on, and is like, but I've had second thoughts. Uh, any lady that calls me slim can't be all bad. And everyone laughs when the show ends. So Belvedere is going to try to, I guess, take that alien up on her offer, maybe? I, I don't Also, um, let's... He's playing hard to get, which right. I like. Um, if alien calling Belvedere slim, isn't there a chance that the aliens are gigantic? Oh, I didn't think about that. Huge Ugh. aliens. Gross, obese aliens. Hey, or they're gonna, I mean, who knows what they want him for. Yeah. I mean, that brings up a lot of questions, which I'm pretty sure Michukaku addresses in one of his books. You know, it's possible that maybe aliens are actually just scooter bitches from the future. <laughs> in the future, maybe they will possible. have. It's possible that their mass has grown so large that they've created a gravitational pull, and because of the speed of their scooters, they've whipped back in time through a dimensional portal, and those are the those are the five percent of real UFOs that we're seeing. Scooter bitches coming into the past ah. with their advanced scooters, now called saucer scooters. Mm. Yeah, there's nothing right about any of that nightmare future, but it could happen. Yeah. Hey, it could happen. it could happen. It could happen. It could really on happen. S- on the scale of impossibility, I'd say oh. it's a two. Definitely. All right, three. Um, yeah. Um, love this episode of Mr. Belvedere. Yeah. I absolutely fucking love this episode of Mr. Belvedere. Please let all of them be this awesome. Best dressed, worst thing- dressed. Oh, dude, yeah. Um, worst dressed has to be something Marsha wore. I put right? all of her outfits on the Facebook group. Um, I would almost go for the vest that has, like, no, wait a minute. I forgot that they're all wearing sweats throughout the whole thing. Maybe George, because he is dressed in sweats the entire episode. He is, but those are sweatpants, and they serve a utilitarian purpose. Do they? I never really thought sweatpants were that great, or sweat anything was that great. But it's a workout Personally. outfit he's working out. Marsha's choosing to wear to dress like this as an adult. True. And she's also presenting herself, because when you're in workout gear, you are in, hey, you're wearing workout clothes. You know right. I, I guess you're right. Marsha's failing. She had one wardrobe that was all right, the skirt with the frilly 80s kind of loose top. But the rest of them were bonks. What do you think? I want to say, like, what was that? The cravat with the jacket with the yeah. really, like, I don't even sure where that patch was supposed to go. No clue. I think that jacket alone makes her yeah, worst dressed. Captain Kangaroo is, is worst dressed. Uh, yeah, when you had the Captain Kangaroo hair, it's done. Um, so, so, yeah, worst dressed. Best dressed. Ooh, now, this is hard. Um, Miles with his jacket. You think it's Miles? See, I, I'm a fan of Wesley T just straight up rocking the suit. In a three-piece suit, Brad. Not like it's, that. Oh, it's it's a nice suit, but 
but that jacket is so fucking cool. It is. It is. And he like, also comes up with a pretty neat windsuit later. Not really a windsuit. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's a precursor to the windsuit at the party, mm-hmm. the lame networking party that um, <laughs> Wesley T throws later. I think Miles is coming into his zone, which he has to. I mean, when you're combating Braceface, mm-hmm. you got to dress savvy. I think you're right. I think he wins best dressed nice. easily. And none of those girls at the freaking dance, all their dresses look like they were in, like, fourth grade. You yeah. don't wear a fourth grade dance dress to, like, a sixth grade proper dance. That's weird. So, yeah, easily they win, hands down. Part of me also wanted to give worse dress to Kevin when he put the alien antennae on his head. <laughs> Yeah. But you're right. Cooler heads prevailed, and we took it to Marshall. Now, the bigger question, Brad, is who won and who lost in this episode? Oh, boy. Because that's a question that I don't really know Yeah. any of the answers to off the top of my head. Um, I mean, Kev- yeah, Kevin's going to go hook up with this girl, but he spent a lot of time like worrying about UFOs, which is dumb. Plus, um, his um, dream or curiosity of having sex with an extraterrestrial... Um, Nah, he, he's not going to realize that. Belvedere scooped that up from him. If right. he'd only been like 10 more minutes, just a few more minutes out there on that thing, he could have had what he wanted. Yeah. Um, Heather did a stupid, like, father-daughter, like, thing. That's dumb. Uh, she can't win. Well, she also spent the whole episode with a George, so I almost think that she may be in the running for losing. Yeah. As oh, well. um, uh, I think honorable mention to Heather's uh, foxy uh, red outfit when she's doing the wheelbarrow. Oh, yeah, true, true. She was looking all right. Um, uh, Marsh is the um, worst. Can't win. Uh, maybe Belvedere won just because, like, he's uh, going to... He's got an... He's got... He's got inter... He's got interdimensional creatures uh, trying to hook up with him. And he won the uh, rope. He did. He's a champion. You know what? I think Belvedere did win. Who lost? Wesley T went on, like, almost like a... Wesley T went on a classic coming-of-age journey, so I don't really know if he mm-hmm. went or lose in that situation. Um, but True. you're right. Um, Belvedere won, but like you said, who lost? I don't want to give it to Marsha, because Marsha's all... No. I mean, Marsha's just a loser. I think um, George lost. I would almost say... I mean, hurt his back, hurt his ankle. Hurt his back, hurt his ankle. His daughter sees that he's getting old, uh... I will say, though, that it is uh, the interesting arc that the fact that he became old and wasn't able to compete, but yet he was totally cool with Belvedere coming in. Like, a mm-hmm. Belvedere win and the tug-of-war is a win for the family in his eyes, which mm-hmm. I think is actually George kind of growing up a little bit. But you're right. Um, he did hang up, I'm assuming, all night until someone found him in the morning from that thing. So that's I think those are grounds for being for losing. You know who lost? Those kids um, that didn't come back from the mall. <laughs> I think you're right. Those missing children. What happened to them? Yeah. First yeah, off, I how did they know. get to the mall? Mm. Where did they go? The missing children. The missing Cause they also children. Because first off, okay, frog in the punch bowl. The, mm-hmm. the janitorial staff I might also put in the r- running for losing because they spent hours on that punch. Totally ruined for the frog. True, um, but they weren't molested by. <laughs> oh yeah, but then to, com- to compound the missing children, which I'm sure we'll bring up in other episodes. Um, lame Wesley Tea Party following the disaster oh, yeah. that was the dance, and then they got spirited away to the quote <laughs> mall, um, mm. and never seen again. Yeah, I don't even know if we see him at graduation, or if we do, they're the kids that don't say anything until like the one moment of laughter when the the goof of putting the principal on the seal is happening. I'm telling you, those kids lost. Yeah, there's some kids that did not come back from the mall with. Oh when no, that. you'll never. They're never gonna yeah. find those kids. So yeah, they lost because they were raped and murdered. <laughs> and if Nothing you there. if you get raped and murdered, you automatically lose. 
Yeah. Um, Belvedere's taking some interesting... <laughs> um, they're following some interesting, I don't know, plot threads? Like, they're building an interesting story here. Um, that's dark and also bright in certain spots. I, this is, this is fun times. I really enjoy it. Indeed. Guys, thank you so much for listening to Ramjack. It's always a pleasure to be here with Brad and to, um, yeah, chat about everything. Just life, you know? Um, chat at us. There's a phone number they can call. Brad, what's the phone number? It's 206-339-5894. Um, you can also email us at ramjackpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on the website, ramjackpodcast.com. And go to the wiki. Check out the... Yay! Yeah, the wiki. Um, yeah, the wiki's a fun time. Um, speaking of fun times, there's the Facebook group. Become a part of it. Um, iTunes reviews, only accepting five-star reviews. Again, mm-hmm. put whatever you want up there. Maybe this week, speculate wildly about the future. Just do it. Is that all the avenues they can get at us at? I mean, I know there's a Twitter. Twitter is at Ramjack Podcast. Yeah, and you can, I guess that's the that's the best way to keep track other than your um, whatever podcasting software you have of new episodes because you're pretty quick on the whole, like, post it, tweet about it. Definitely. Front, so follow us there. And guys, uh, just remember, when you're making wild, grandiose speculations about the future based on absolutely nothing but your uh, want to sell t-shirts of your own face, you might as well take a page out of the Dungeons & Dragons yoga handbook and roll the <laughs> if you take a look at the movie Avatar, many people miss this. Uh, Sigourney Weaver warns the troopers in the movie Avatar that the planet is alive, that it has a central nervous system, and that's why the, everyone has a tail. The tail connects you to the central nervous system so you can upload. Yeah. You can upload and download with the planet. And that's how at the end of the movie, the planet is able to coordinate an attack against the star troopers. So here is an example of a living planet with a nervous system that is that is capable of coordinating an attack. Now, whether or not evolutionary biology allows this, of course, we can ask uh, James Cameron if he thinks it's plausible. But it is a mechanism that they use in the movie Avatar to show how a planet could be alive. Well, if you do mushrooms, the planet feels alive. Anytime someone mentions aliens from outer space, little green men, uh, movies like Star Wars, Independence Day, ha! Nothing but optical illusions, mass hysteria, the planet Venus, weather balloons, atmospheric anomalies, swamp gas, radar echoes, you name it, somebody has an excuse for it. However, however, there are a handful, just a handful, of cases that are so bizarre so mystifying, so crazy, that they are really hard to explain. I mean, really hard to explain. Some scientists say, well, the distance between stars is so great that, give me a break, it would take thousands, millions of years for these things to reach the Earth. Therefore, it's simply impractical for UFOs to land from outer space. Well, not so fast. And the brain pacemaker will inject memories of people who have advanced Alzheimer's, so they'll know who they are, who their kids are, where they're located, their house, their keys, and things like that. Think of all the courses you flunked in college. Maybe, just maybe, we'll push the button and learn calculus. Or for that matter, think of all the workers that are thrown out of work because technology marches on. You may be able to retrain workers by simply pushing a button. Or, 
think about taking a vacation that never existed. And if you saw the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, he had a whole marriage uplifted into his memory, which was totally fake. And so the implications of this are enormous.